1: Hello, everyone. I'm Zane Asher. You've been watching CNN's coverage of the Artemis unmanned rocket launch to the moon. Liftoff, as we know, has now been scrubbed for today because of issues with one of the rocket's engines. We'll have much more on all of this throughout this program. But first, let's talk about the markets. U.S. investors bracing for a rough start to the trading week. Fed Chair Jerome Powell's blunt speech on Friday still reverberating throughout the financial markets. Stock futures, you can see there, sharply lower after Friday's across-the-board sell-off that saw the Dow actually fall more than 1,000 points. Tech stocks were among the worst performers on, performance on Friday, falling more than 3%. Chair Powell warned in his speech that U.S. borrowing costs will have to rise much further to get inflation under control. Some in Washington fear that the Fed's medicine is a bit too harsh and will lead to hardship for American households.
0: Do you know what's worse than high prices and a strong economy? It's high prices and millions of people out of work. I'm very worried that the Fed is going to tip this economy into recession.
1: Joining us live now is Rahel uh, Solomon, uh, who has uh, been covering this story. So, uh, Rahel, it wasn't necessarily what he said, but how he said it. I mean, the tone really matters here because he didn't really couch the pain that he thought that uh, Americans would be feeling.
2: I think that's a great point, Zane. We didn't hear Chairman Powell say anything about a soft landing. We didn't hear him really couch those comments with, uh, but we think the economy is coming from a very strong place, as we tend to hear him say uh, more often. This was a very direct message, a very narrow message. And to put that fall on the Dow of the Dow on Friday in perspective, Zane, it progressively got worse. We were at the lows of the session when we closed every hour of the day, just continued to get worse. And to put it in perspective, it was the worst day in months every S&P sector was lower. Uh, the Nasdaq was among the hardest hit. This, of course, coming uh, as Chairman Powell say says, we must raise rates to lower inflation. There is no other way to the other side of this. And essentially saying that it is for the good of the larger public that we get inflation under control. And to put these rate hikes in perspective, Zane, we've already had four so far this year, but there are three more meetings ahead. We have, of course, that September meeting, and then I believe uh, it's November and December. I believe there's a, a break in October. October, but we have more meetings ahead this year. And that, of course, uh, is the concern being felt in the markets. How much more uh, are we going to see? To put this in perspective, we're at about 2.5% for the Fed's benchmark interest rate. The expectation is that we are likely getting closer to 4 by the end of the year. But every time, Zane, the Fed has to uh, deliver one of these supersized rate hikes, it increases the fear and the threat of a policy misstep. Some, like uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, would say, the increases the likelihood of a recession. Others would say a policy misstep, but it increases the likelihood that we are heading towards some pain, as Powell pointed out.
1: All right, Rahel Solomon, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, John Petridis joins us live now. He is the Portfolio Manager at Tocqueville Asset Management. John, thank you so much uh, for being with us. So it's no surprises that the Fed is going to continue raising interest rates in this country uh, in order to get inflation under control. Um, How much has the stock market already sort of priced in a lot of these rate hikes, do you think?
3: Well, it's a great question. I think that's why Powell took the tone that he did. You know, I I liken Friday's uh, speech to, you know, something of how I used to discipline my kids. When my kids got out of line or or were goofing off, I would say, you know, I'm going to count to three. One, two, and I never got to three. And what I mean by that is, and the kids corrected what they had to do, but what I mean by that is you know, the Fed has been saying a very consistent tone here that they're trying to get inflation down to 2% and that they are going to continue to raise rates to 3.5% to 3.75% by December. And the bond market and the stock market was rallying on a story that was floated around that the Fed was going to cut rates. And they wanted to make sure they give a very, very stern message. You know, in 2018, former chair, chair Fed uh, Ben Bernanke said that monetary policy is 98 percent words and 2 percent action. And you know, the Fed really wanted to throw us into recession. Now, why only raise 75 basis points the upcoming meeting? Why not get us to 4 percent now? You know, just just shut, just just turn the spigot off right now. Why wait? So I think they want to send a very message, very strong message that hey, we're not cutting rates anytime soon because we still got to get to raise rates.
1: Yeah, by the way, I use the uh, countdown discipline with my kids, too. It works wonders, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what might what might actually get the Fed to change its mind here? Not, not, not necessarily change its mind, but change course. We've got the jobs report coming out on Friday. Do you think that, yes, we know that the September uh, rate hike is already sort of set but just in terms of how many rate hikes we see in the near term, will the jobs report this week actually matter?
3: Well, the irony is, so, yes, it will matter. But I think the irony is that, you know, two hours before Powell made his speech, the uh, personal consumption expenditure, which is an inflationary target, the Fed pays a lot of attention to, came in better than expected or lower than expected, which means inflation was rolling over. And, then, and the market actually turned positive just before his uh, comments. So I think in terms of Friday's uh, jobs report, I think the Fed probably has uh, very good intel as to what that number is going to look like. Uh, which is why Powell said many times the labor market is still too strong in his speech and we have to get price stability, uh, a a, a notion that he mentioned seven times during his speech. So um, I I would assume it's going to be a a positive report. But more importantly, wage growth is going to stay above 5%, which which is what the Fed is focusing on getting that down.
1: So as the Fed focuses on you know, reducing and reducing inflation rather at all costs. What's going going to be the price that ordinary Americans end up having to pay here? Um, Chair Powell just talked about a lot of pain in the short and long term until inflation is brought under control. Just walk us through that.
3: Well, it is really a catch-22 situation because, remember, inflation is simply the growth rate of money. And what the Fed is trying to do is slow the growth rate of money so you know with the exception of maybe some you know your your grocery bill will fluctuate the gasoline prices will fluctuate you know inflation it's it's not common that the that that uh, your everyday cost of living will turn around and in order for it to turn around or in order for the average american or the average consumer to handle those higher expenses they have to make more money well guess what if they make more money it leads to more inflation So it is really a a very tricky situation here that we're in, of which, of course, is is partly been created by the Fed because they kept their foot on the gas pedal for way too long uh, last year, in addition to federal spending.
1: And we know that September is not necessarily the best month for uh, stocks in this country. It's actually quite a dismal month, typically, for stocks. Uh, What can we expect in the coming weeks, do you think?
3: Yeah, clearly there's... A uh, lack of clarity. I think most people were expecting 75 basis points for Fed to hike interest rates uh, three weeks from now. Um, you know, I haven't seen much if there's a one percent increase. So I, I think that's where the traders will be positioning around. Uh, what we what we lose now going into this last month really is uh, that earnings season is behind us, and and earnings season was weak. I mean, if you exclude the energy sector. Uh, earnings on companies in the S&P 500 were down you know, low single digits. Now, it was off a very difficult comparison, but earnings are coming down. And, and I think ultimately for the stock market to find a floor, that's healthy. You need earnings to come down. You need estimates to come down. Valuation multiples have come down to reflect the fact that interest rates are higher. And uh, and so I think the next three weeks, you're going to have traders positioning around uh, where, where the Fed, if there is going to be surprise to the 75 basis point rate hike which i think is consensus at this point
1: right all right, john petrida's life for us there thank you so much all right still to come here on first move the first big step towards the u.s returning to the moon we'll have uh, to wait a little bit longer for the artemis 1 rocket to launch stay with us for more on that Right, welcome back to first move u.s stocks are up and running on this monday on the start to the trading week this is going to be a closely watched market open everyone's going to be watching this very closely after what we saw on friday when the dow was down about a thousand points or so a dismal day in terms of the markets uh, as expected u.s stocks are weaker right now across the board the dow is down 260 points or so After the S&P 500's 3.3% drop as well on Friday, the worst day of trading on Wall Street since the spring, investors selling stocks after Fed Chair Jerome Powell vowed to get the job done on inflation, increasing the possibility that the U.S. central bank will be aggressively uh, raising interest rates for several months to come. Powell is not the only influential central banker to sound this hawkish on rates. An ECB official warned over the weekend that eurozone rates will have to move higher as well, even as the economy there weakens due in part because of soaring energy costs. U.S. stocks still trading comfortably above the 52-week lows that it hit in June. The big question is whether stocks will have to test those lower levels again, given the tougher stance from policy makers. A historic launch delayed for another day. NASA announcing it has scrubbed the launch of the Artemis 1 rocket after engine issues. The uncrewed rocket was meant to be blasting off right about now. Uh, On a six-week flight uh, around the moon and back, it is using the most powerful rocket since Saturn V took the crew of Apollo 17 to the moon nearly 50 years ago. The Artemis program is designed to eventually land humans on the unexplored lunar south pole and could ultimately serve as a stepping stone uh, for a journey to Mars as well. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, who is a former astronaut himself, just addressed uh, the launch delay he said delays are part of the learning process and so uh, you know it's just part of the space business and it's part of particularly a test flight we are stressing and testing this rocket and the spacecraft uh, in a way that you would never do it with uh, the human crew on board that's the purpose of a test flight and so Rachel Crane joins us live now from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. So, Rachel, we've known for the past few hours that it really wasn't looking good today. You had issues when it came to lightning. There was hydrogen fuel leak, uh, also issues with the engine, engine number three in particular. And they're they're still trying to troubleshoot that if they are going to launch instead on Friday, right?
4: That's right, Zane. We don't exactly know the nature of today's issue with engine number three. NASA will be holding a press conference in a few hours. Well, hopefully we will glean some more information. Uh, but, you know, it really all hinges on what exactly the problem is here. If they be able to fix it out on the pad, uh, they could potentially make that Friday uh, launch opportunity. But if it is a serious problem, they may have to roll the, the vehicle back to the vehicle assembly building. And that would be uh, a much more, uh, much longer delay. So it, it remains to be seen really when they will attempt to launch Artemis 1 next, uh, depending upon what the, the issue here was with a- Engine 3. But as Bill Nelson was just saying, you know, this was a test launch. It's important that people remember that. And so this is really all part of the learning process. Nobody here uh, or n- and no one in the space community is really all that surprised that today's launch was scrubbed. In fact, all of the rehearsals, which are called wet dress rehearsals, uh, leading up to today, they had significant issues. Three of them were complete failures. They had major uh, technical issues. The fourth was deemed a success by NASA, but they never got into the countdown to the, the, the place that they were targeting. They were targeting nine seconds and they only made it to 29 seconds. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but in those last you know few seconds of these, of these launches, a ton of stuff happens. So they weren't able to run through quite as much as they had hoped. So today sort of goes back into the the rehearsal category. And hopefully, whether it's this week, next week, they'll have another launch attempt soon. And this, you know, rocket, this this historic launch will take off. And I just want to point out this rocket behind me. It is the most powerful rocket ever created. I mean, the Saturn V, uh, that's what powered us to the moon. This thing is even more powerful than that. And as you pointed out, there was no crew on board. So today's scrub is not Quite as complicated as it would be if there had been crew on board. You know, we know we know that they have to defuel the plane, but they don't have to, you know, get the astronauts out of the Orion capsule. But what is inside the Orion capsule, Zane, is pretty, pretty cool. There's a lot of science on board, hitching a ride on this Artemis 1 mission. Uh and Munikin Campos is one of them. He's a full size mannequin that's sitting in the commander seat, and he's wearing the uh the flight suit that astronauts will wear on the missions also has all kinds of sensors to measure the vibration and the acoustics also radiation sen- sensors and then there's two additional what they call phantoms which are mannequins but just from the torso up and they're modeled after women because of course with Artemis 3 it's gonna be the first woman landing on the lunar surface and women we know are more impacted by space radiation than men so one of these uh, phantoms is the control and the other one is wearing what's called the astro rad that this was uh, developed with Germany and Israel, and it's to potentially protect the astronauts that will be flying on these missions from the deep space radiation, from the energetic particles uh, and solar radiation, what have you. So it was really to try and test that and see how effective this vest could potentially be to shield our astronauts from that, you know, dangerous radiation you experience when you pass the Van Allen belt. So a lot of a lot of science on board, waiting to hitch a ride whenever this thing eventually. Takes south. But Zaina as you know, today isn't officially a scrub.
1: Yeah, and they really do have to get it right, right? Because there's so much riding on this, not to mention about $100 billion as well. But just talk to us about um, what this sort of new era of space ex- exploration actually signals here. The end goal is to be able to have a permanent base, if you will, for humans on the moon. Just walk us through that.
4: That's right, Zane. And I just want to point out that the SLS, each flight of this system is going to cost about $1.4 billion. That's an incredibly high price tag and has been criticized by many. This program, as you pointed out, has been incredibly expensive, really, really delayed. Today's just one of, uh, of many delays that this program has experienced. But as you pointed out, this is all really in the attempt to not just have flags and footprints like we did in the 60s and 70s on the moon but to create a permanent uh, a permanent presence on the moon, to be ordered to run through the paces, do all the, the the technological experimentation, the science experimentation that is needed in order to do, you know, the holy grail mission of space exploration, which is land a person on Mars. Now, in order to land humans on the moon, NASA is not just relying on that rocket and that space capsule behind me. They've also partnered with SpaceX in a nearly three billion dollar Contract to create what's called the human landing system. Now that will be utilizing SpaceX's Starship. Now Starship, uh, SpaceX has been working on for years now, and Starship will fly on its uh, super heavy booster. This is a mega rocket, and it's going to be way more powerful than that rocket behind me, the SLS. The SLS has about over. 8 million pounds of thrust, but when Starship eventually flies, they haven't even had an orbital test yet, so you know, this is going to be, this is a long time in the making, Um, but when it eventually flies, it will have over 17 million pounds of thrust, so that is going to be a gargantuan rocket there, but right now SpaceX and NASA, they're not seen as competitors on these lunar missions, they're actually, as I pointed out, working together, and we can't put astronauts on the moon as of now without working with SpaceX to create that human landing system. So, you know, a lot of moving parts here. And before, you know, that's still in development. As I pointed out, Starship hasn't even had an orbital launch yet. So it's going to be a considerable amount of time. NASA says that they're planning to, to land humans on the moon in 2025. If um, my 10 years covering space has taught me anything, those timelines tend to really slip sane. so I'm not so confident that that's (laughs) going to happen in 2025, but there's certainly going to be a lot of very exciting milestones like Artemis 1 between now and then. As you mentioned, you know, delays are just part of the game, yeah, they have to get it right here.
1: Rachel Crane, live for us there, always good to see you, my friend, thank you so much. And stay with First Move, much more to come after this short break. the stories making headlines around the world, the G7 and Moscow say they welcome a planned visit from the world's nuclear watchdog to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine. It follows new fighting around the complex, with Russian and Ukrainian officials reporting more shelling over the weekend. It comes as Ukrainian forces have begun shaping operations to prepare for a significant counteroffensive, according to U.S. officials. Sam Kiley has more on what that, offen- what that offensive could mean six months into this brutal war.
5: The Ukrainian Ministry of Defense has confirmed that an offensive is currently underway in the south, uh, along the southern battlefields, predominantly in Mikhailiv and Kherson provinces. Uh, And this is because clearly their target is going to be the city of Kherson, which sits not only on the Dnieper, but at the head of a canal supplying water to Crimea, which the Ukrainians cut in 2014. Kherson was uh, among the first targets, uh, first cities captured by the Russians. So it's clearly a very, very important strategic location. This is also a very important moment Ukraine, just over six months into the war, they've been talking a lot about a counter and counter offensive. My colleague uh, Jim Shuto says that his sources are describing this early stages as what they call the shaping opera- operations, going after command and control systems, uh, air defenses, and so on. But we're also hearing anecdotally on the ground uh, from soldiers that a number of small villages may already have been captured as the Ukrainians try to get on the front foot in this war, and all of this coming at a time when the Zaporizhia nuclear power station remains itself on the front line. Uh, The United Nations saying that it is hoping to get inspectors uh, into that location with the agreement of the Russians and the Ukrainians in the next few days. Sam Kiley, CNN, in Zaporizhia.
1: Pakistan's army is conducting rescue operations in areas devastated by severe floods. Officials say the unprecedented climate disaster has now killed more than 1,000 people since mid June. The government is appealing for help from abroad, saying a third of the country could be underwater by the end of the monsoon season. CNN's Anna Coren has more.
0: A young life hanging in the balance winched across rushing water in Pakistan's flood-soaked Sindh province. Safely off the bed frame, it's an older man's turn. Lucky for some, but these floods have killed over a thousand people since mid-June, including over 350 children, according to UNICEF.
6: This is a calamity uh, of proportions I think Pakistan has not seen. Uh, Some of the areas hit are also some of the most vulnerable areas uh, of the country.
0: Pakistan normally goes through three to four monsoon rain cycles each year. It has had eight in that time. And the wet season will drag on through September. Extreme heat has baked the earth. The rain can't soak in. Flash flooding comes next. These satellite images show the Indus River swelling. Nowhere for the water to go and few routes to escape it. Highways through central Pakistan have been cut off. Bridges broken as villages wash away. In the northwest of the country, army choppers rescued desperate people. Another person saved. Others scramble for the next helicopter.
6: This is a climate uh, crisis, uh, climate that has been uh, mostly done by uh, richer countries uh, contributing to the, to, the, to the crisis. And I think it's time that the world responded to support Pakistan in this time of need.
0: As Pakistan and NGOs appeal for international aid, the weather forecast is finally brightening. All are hopeful for a break in the rain, a chance to further assess the damage. What is immediately obvious, the toll that climate change is taking. Pakistan's relatively low-carbon footprint, not enough to save it from the dangers of our warming world. Anna Corrin, CNN, Hong Kong. In Iraq,
1: supporters of an influential Shia cleric have stormed the Republican palace in Baghdad's green zone. It comes after Muqtada al-Sadr announced he would withdraw from politics after tensions over a political deadlock. The demonstrators have forced the prime minister to suspend all meetings until further noticed. Air France says it suspended two pilots of fighting while at the controls during a flight. The airline said the altercation in the cockpit was quickly resolved Without affecting the plane's safety, Air France only acknowledged the incident, which happened in June, after it was reported in a Swiss newspaper. Let's get more now uh, from CNN's Scott McLean.
7: This actually happened back in June. This was a flight from Geneva, Switzerland, to Paris, France, a little over an hour flight time. And there was some kind of a disagreement in the cockpit, which flared up into a physical altercation. We don't know what kind of physical altercation. But in a written statement, the airline described it in a much more benign way, saying that the pilots exchanged inappropriate gestures, though they have also confirmed that the pilots were not giving each other the finger. This was something that turned physical. Now, the airline Air France says that the flight continued on normally, that the issue was resolved. It's not clear when or how Air France actually found out about what had happened, but it has gone ahead and suspended the two pilots while it looks into it. This is not the only safety mishap for Air France in the news lately. Last week, the French air safety investigative agency called BEA released a report on an incident that happened back in December 2020, on a flight from the Republic of Congo to Paris, France. In that case, a few, there was a fuel leak, and safety procedure dictated that the pilots should have shut down the engine with the leak, but that didn't happen, and according to the report, that created a fire hazard. Now, this was not an isolated case. The report detailed other incidents where pilots haven't followed the proper safety procedures, and taken together... It suggests that there is a certain culture among some Air France crews which encourages a propensity to underestimate the extent to which strict compliance with procedures contributes to safety. Now, the report also tries to put things into context, and that is that Air France literally flies thousands of routes every day. And so the number of flights, the number of crews being investigated in the grand scheme of things is very small. Scott McLean, CNN, London.
1: Right. The battle for the presidency in Brazil is heating up with the candidates clashing in a bad tempered debate on Sunday. Current President Jair Bolsonaro traded insults with his main rival, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, and made a personal attack on a journalist who questioned him on his response uh, to the pandemic, calling her a disgrace. Stefano Pozzaman has more.
8: It was a debate that almost didn't happen, with Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro confirming his presence only hours before the broadcast began. Bolsonaro and former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva were joined by four other candidates to discuss the economy, the response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the environment. Lula was questioned about the series of corruption scandals that took place while he was president between 2003 and 2010, and he defended his record in power, saying that millions saw their living conditions improve while he was president.
7: You say you didn't see those changes I am talking of. Well, your driver saw them, your gardener saw them, your cleaning lady saw them. Go ask her. She saw this country doing better. She saw her child could enter a university.
8: Bolsonaro instead went on the attacks, saying that the Brazilian economy is uh, faring much better than other countries in the region, and personally attacking local journalist Vera Magalhaes after she asked him a question about vaccination rates. All the other candidates expressed solidarity with uh, the journalist Magalhaes but with little over a month before the first round of the Brazilian election on October the 2nd, the race already seems a two-way affair between Lula and Bolsonaro. For CNN, this is Stefano Pozzébon. Bogotá.
1: Right. U.S. markets have opened lower. A second day of losses following Fed Chair Jerome Powell's hawkish policy speech on Friday. All the major averages falling in early trading, although tech stocks are off their worst levels of the session. Uh, Stocks are certainly under pressure after Jerome Powell's warning on Friday that the U.S. central bank will have to keep raising rates to get inflation under control. You can see the Dow there. we have only been trading for about half an hour or so. The Dow is down about 200 points. Let's bring in Paula Monica to break it all down. So with Fed Chair Jerome Powell's comments on Friday, what does that mean for tech stocks, growth stocks, like uh, especially the Nasdaq? Just walk us through that.
6: Yeah, it's a great question, Zane. I think there had been a lot of hope that if the Fed were to slow down the magnitude of its rate hikes, That would lead to an environment where investors would once again embrace riskier assets, growth stocks like tech, cryptocurrencies. Uh, But you're seeing Bitcoin plunging today below 20,000 again. Really what's happened is that investors now have this rude awakening that the Fed is still very concerned about inflation. They're not going to uh, relax anytime soon. So we're likely to see if the data... Uh, justifies it another three quarters of a point hike in September. And I think the Fed is just going to have to take every uh, future rate decision meeting by meeting, depending on what's happening with the jobs market and inflation data.
1: How much have uh, investors, how much of the markets already priced in a lot of these rate hikes?
6: Now, all of a sudden, they are once again starting to price in more aggressive rate hikes. Uh, Just a month ago, we were down to less than a 30% chance of another three-quarters of a point hike at the September meeting. People were really hoping that the Fed could start to slow the pace, half-point hikes, then maybe quarter-point hikes down the road. That's not in the cards anymore. Now you're looking at a 65% probability of another three quarter of a point hike in September and that would be the third consecutive 75 basis point increase. So the Fed very aggressive unprecedented type inflation fighting moves really not seen since the days of Paul Volcker.
1: Right. Uh, Paul and Monica live for us there. We'll see what happens with the markets over the course of the rest of the day. And that is it for the show. I'll be back in a couple of hours with my show, One World. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is up next. You're watching CNN.
0: Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country.